from Integral Life, welcome to Everyone is Right. In today's classic discussion, originally published in May of 2003, David Data gives one of the finest summaries of his work ever recorded, offering a provocative and insightful exploration of the intersection between sex and spirituality. This is one of a series of free classic discussions we're making available on the Everyone is Right podcast every Thursday afternoon. Stay tuned next week for another integral classic. A lot of my work has to do with identification with consciousness or life, two aspects of being. Right. And I call that identification with consciousness the more masculine identification in all beings, right. humans, and the identification with the light, the more feminine aspect. But of course, light and con- light's just the shine of consciousness, so they're one to begin with. And then we could apply the identification with consciousness or light at every level, gross, subtle, and causal levels to look at. We could also look at um, the actual developmental levels of the, just the three that we've reduced it to, the you know, pre-rational, rational, post-rational, yeah. however we want to do that. Um, and then begin to talk about, in individuals' lives, or in lives of systems, communities, how people can develop through the levels and how they can untangle their identification of consciousness and light um, in each of those domains. So that would be one possible starting point. Well, let's make sure you get a couple of terms clear and the ones that you found work and the ones that resonate with people. So what you're basically saying, you're looking at both levels and you're looking at types at each level. And the types are essentially masculine and feminine, solar, lunar, exactly. and the terms you just used were consciousness and light. And consciousness being sort of the empty ground in which phenomena appears, and light being representative of the shine or radiance of the phenomena exactly. that appears. So the three generalized levels were pre-rational, rational, post-rational, or body, mind, and spirit are ways that people think about them. In the great wisdom traditions, you have gross energy, subtle energy, and causal energy. And those correlate with body, mind, and spirit, basically. So what I think is really great about the workshops and practices you've done is you've made much of the stuff very, very accessible to people without a technical language by working with sexuality, awareness, feeling, and particularly how that manifests in a masculine type and a feminine type, which can be present in men or women. And to reframe the three levels of being that you went through, one of the ways that I found helps yeah. people really feel those is whether one is oriented towards self, which is what I call the first stage, right. which corresponds to what you call the gross body. Right. Whether one is oriented towards the sharing of information or equality, which we could call the mind level, I suppose, or the capacity to identify with others and share with others, which I just call the second stage, right. the we-oriented rather than me-oriented. Right. And then what I call the third stage, which is everything above that, is when one is capable of feeling beyond both me and we, as you say, uh, body, mind, spirit, the spirit, when one is allowing the spirit or that which is beyond self and we to come through the body and come through the we, then you're an open vessel, an open vehicle for that manifestation to occur. And that is a, people can feel that often if they're musicians, they know what it feels like to open and let the music come through them. Right. Or if they're mathematicians, or when you've talked to me about your own writing, you talk about it coming through you, you know, you, it's just there basically, right. you're writing it down. Well, that would be a third stage orientation. Second stage orientation is when 
you're sharing it with others as equals, right. and the first stage orientation is just I'm separate, I'm a body, I'm concerned about myself. Right. And all of those, as you often say, are valid. We need to include each one. You don't negate yourself to, to move beyond. You include yourself, you include we, and then you open the spirit. So I just wanted to add yeah. those three orientations. Well, but I think that's important. We can use any number of different phrases and, and labels and names to get these ideas across. The three general gauges or levels that we talked about, um, other terms those as well, as you know, are pre-conventional, conventional, post-conventional, post and that works fairly well for a lot of people. Right. Um, in one sense, if you're careful about it, they're personal, interpersonal, and transpersonal. Yes, exactly. Another way to think about it as well. I think there's a heavy overlap, for instance, yeah, between much. the gross body, the me orientation, right. the you know, each of the, they're very close, but they're not isomorphic. And yeah, they have, yeah. They're like fuzzy logic. Yeah, yeah. That's not, then there's fuzzy logic and sloppy logic. And That's I, true. Yeah, I'll be the sloppy, and you can be the fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, if we look at the body level, we could talk about the feminine aspect, which is I am light at the level of body. And so anybody identified with the more feminine aspect want to be seen as light. They enjoy being seen as light. They enjoy being felt as light. They want to be um, seen to their core. They feel as a shine. We, in any moment that we're identified with the feminine, um, if they feel unseen, they have a negative self-image towards themselves. If they feel very seen, they have a positive self-image. At the mind level, the feminine because it's light, the flow of energy, is a mind that's moving like energy, like an ocean. It's not a linear motion. It's yeah. Energy doesn't move linearly. Um, yeah. And so the more one is identified with the feminine at the mind level, the more the interaction, the conversation, and so forth is like a garden grows, or like light yeah. shines, rather than like a grid of going from one point to another. And right. at the spiritual level, if you will, it's a sheer identification of light itself. And in many spiritual traditions, they talk about being light or merging with light. And to take the masculine through those three levels at the physical level again, to be masculine is to reside as consciousness. And the way that translates through the body is you get to stand outside of life, which enables you to have a purpose. And so by standing in the one-sided aspect of consciousness, the masculine side, without being the fullness also, that's what it means to be masculine, you step back in consciousness, you have a vision of all the potentials in life, and you get to choose one. So one's capacity to be masculine in the body is one's capacity to use one's body in a disciplined and one-pointed fashion. And so a body that is functional is the masculine aspect of the body. What do I do? Not how am I seen? And so people who are masculinely identified at the body level, they want kudos for success. They want to see that they've accomplished something. It's not so much what they look like. In fact, some could say, you look really bad. You've been working hard, and you go, I've been busting ass. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's the masculine sense of yeah. accomplishment. Right. At the mental level, again, you reside behind the motion of thoughts, select where you want to go, use thoughts to move that way. So masculine mentality is the capacity to accomplish through thoughts a direction and bring to fruition an achievement. Um, and then at the spiritual level, it's sheer identification with consciousness itself. So somebody like Ramana Maharshi would be... as yeah, a pure witness, exactly. pure openness, exactly. without the fullness right. incorporated as part of that. Now, the, at each level, the wholeness is to be able to move fluidly between both the fullness and the emptiness, the 
uh, garden of, of mind as well as linear mind. The capacity to be seen and radiantly healthy, for instance, and the capacity to use the body for accomplishment. But the trouble in our second stage society, or our green society, which we'll define later, and you define it clearly green in, your work, yeah. in the green mean, is there's a fascist need to balance those two. So people aren't allowed to uh, relax into what they enjoy and express it as a gift. Or actually polarized. Exactly. Yeah. So you and I, for instance, are using our minds to accomplish a goal. Now, anyone who's in that second stage fascist version that, well, that's one side, you have to use the other side equally, will say, you guys are pervertedly masculine. Why not have some more fun? You know, why not just talk randomly? They just don't have to color my lips. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they could only see your lips, they'd, they'd love it, Ken. Believe me. <laughs> And so that fascist so balance. There's an ironing out both sides of it and flattening them exactly. in a fascist kind of precarious balancing, which is basically you're just not really allowing them to be themselves and invented their own wild extremes in a natural display of their own nature. Those extremes exactly are just as natural as the balance. And yeah. some people hang out in the extremes more by birth, that's their disposition. Some people hang out in the balanced mode more by yeah. birth. And again, you could look at spiritual figures who are supposedly more evolved, and they span the spectrum. There are some spiritual figures who sing and dance their entire life as an expression, which is a more feminine expression, whether they're male or female. It's a feminine expression of energy. Some sit in silence without moving, a more masculine expression of the same thing. And so if we were to squash that, if we would make Ramana Maharshi dance and sing, and if we would make Rumi be silent, uh, you know, if we would make... Um, Amaji, stop hugging people. It would be a squashing yeah, of their expression. It would be. These are saying statistic classes that if you put your right foot in liquid nitrogen and your left foot in molten lead, your overall average body temperature is comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and so, they, so they're looking for that comfortable mm -hmm. as a balance instead of really allowing these things to circulate freely and ecstatically in their own nature. It's a, such a baseline fundamental thing when, um, when Monica Lewinsky was asked by Barbara Walters what Bill Clinton saw in her, she said, he told me when I walk into a room, I light it up. Yeah. And everyone can identify with whether they're masculine or feminine with that sense that someone walks into a room and lights it up. They yeah. bring life to the room. Yeah. That's the feminine gift. It's pure love energy what, rather than the love emptiness. And so that energetic expression identified with most natively is the feminine in men and women, the yeah. feminine disposition. Now, how is that felt or seen and what kind of words can we use to describe that? Um, wanting to be felt, enjoying being seen, lighting up a room, offering the love like they're painting the walls of a room with their love, adorning their body with clothing colors, jewelry, so that their native radiance are shown. The makeup industry, which is billions of dollars, is all about, you say you want shiny hair, glowing yeah. eyes, glowing right. skin, not dull hair. Dull yeah, they try, the, here's the dull look, here's <laughs> the crap look, here's the non-shiny look. It didn't sell quite too well. <laughs> not to them. <laughs> no, it's a brief moment at academia at Columbia University. Several women went to the dull dress. Uh, <laughs> they found that it helped genders quite, quite rapidly. Well, that's exactly true. When people dress for success, they dress nicely, but it tends to be in grays. Well, and don't you find women would have to uh, pull back on their shine if they were trying to succeed in a more masculine world? Well, that's a major part of my work because 
these days, obviously, everyone has equal access to every domain. And so when a more feminine essence person enters a predominantly masculine domain and plays by masculine rules, that person has to emphasize their masculine to be on the same playing field. And so part of my work is helping people who have a more feminine essence, who are more identified with the feminine, relax their body because running that masculine modality eight, ten hours a day creates disease, especially in the feminine parts of the body. And so their pelvis, their breasts, and so forth, the places of their body that they feel is most feminine begin to literally become diseased if they spend much more time in the masculine mode. And so there are ways to compensate for that. And in the future, what I would call a third stage culture or transpersonal culture, culture with the center of gravity more in that domain, that level, we would allow more feminine people to earn the same amount of money in the feminine style. So healers would be paid as much as surgeons, whereas now they're not. Um, People who work in the energy domain would be paid as much as people who work in the goal domain. Until that comes, everyone has to animate more masculine energy to make more money unless they're just models or exceptional healers, people who use energy and are paid a lot. So in the future, hopefully, men and women will be paid a lot to be in their feminine. They won't have to artificially stretch into domains in the masculine side where they it's unhealthy for them, but now they do. So there's ways of undoing that in the body at the end of the day, taking breaks during the day, um, relaxing the body, dancing, sacred dance, song, all these are ways of letting transcendental energy come into the body and mind and refresh it rather than staying empty in the masculine domain and their body drying out, um, their emotions drying out, uh, them coming home from a day of work and they just feel stressed, tired, not energized. The masculine person who lives that on-edge purpose all day gets energized by it. They may want a break, of course, but they feel energized by it. A more feminine person could be just as successful, but it's more stressful and it shows up in their body to, an- to animate the masculine goal thing all of the day. And so, yeah, so using that masculine mode on Wall Street, you're sort of doing you know, cocaine and espresso and you know, just everything you can to sort of drive that side of the, of yep. the body's and, uh, energetic. Yeah, it's the more masculine style. Some people thrive on it if they have a more masculine essence. And then there's the first, second, and third stage of the masculine. So if we move to the third stage, it would be like somebody trying to meditate their ass off for the sake of enlightenment. You know, the Zen tradition is a brilliant example of a masculine-oriented, genuine spiritual tradition where you don't move, you have a perfect posture, you're staring at a wall, you get whacked if you slouch. Um, that's the Wall Street version of the spiritual level of yeah. the masculine expression of yeah. consciousness. Which can work for what it does. It, it yeah. works brilliantly for more masculine people. Right. More feminine people, it denies their their essence. So a more everyone has both masculine and feminine as part of their being, obviously. So it works for the masculine side of everybody. But if you're more identified with the feminine side, you'd be better off doing sacred dance for five hours a day than Zen meditation for five hours a day. And these traditions actually took that into account. So for long periods of history, basically it was a men's clubs and there's most forms of meditative spirituality. And now historically we're renewing the more feminine aspects of it, but we have a long way to go. It strikes me too when you discuss masculine feminine dimensions of every person that the way you do so doesn't seem to upset hardly anybody, which I think is really great and also rather hard to do. Because mostly in this culture, as you know, if you start to discuss any kind of differences between anybody, you get people quite upset because they think you're being stereotypical. Well, I think your expression and analysis of boomeritis is such a 
thorough and brilliant explanation and description of the phenomenon you're talking about, when it's very natural at a certain level of development to having, you've just transcended judging other people as inferior or superior, and so you want whitewashed equality. ethnocentric and world-centric, and you're really careful about ethnocentric, which is fine, it's great. It's just a temporary transitional downside, is it tends to block the fullest expression of the natural style of conscious light through the human individual. Because as you said earlier, conscious light sometimes manifests of the extreme of consciousness or light, of dance and silence, both extremes. Sometimes it comes out balanced. Yeah. Well, that forced balance was useful. As I, as I say in my work in the first stage, there's the macho jerks and submissive housewives that are yeah. only identified men have to be masculine, women have to be feminine. To grow from that, it was necessary to essentially, like the founding fathers did in the Constitution, force an equality. Now that equality was artificially based on equivalence, which is only a transitional step. So they said men and women need to be equivalent, which made everyone whitewashed into that we're equally masculine and feminine. Women, all women, should be equally able to have a business and dance wildly. All men should be able to dance in the woods and play drums and sing as well as uh, have long-term goals and have a job and be very spineful men. Well, that doesn't work except for a small minority of people. A small minority of people are balanced in that way. There are people who tend toward the feminine in their gifts. They might be videotaping a dance. They might be doing all kinds of energetic expressions that would express what we are expressing, but through an energetic style that is not as linear as we well, are. I have some clay here, and I thought we would we could play. Yeah, I thought we would sculpt a little of this stuff later. I've got some really nifty colors. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I, I tend to sort of compartmentalize. There are certain things that I do, I do in a masculine way, and then other things I do, the decorating and clothing right. and all that is sort of much more feminine. Sure, that absolutely. Sort of pattern orientation. And well, you have a highly developed masculine and feminine, which I think most people don't realize. I mean, if people knew you, they would realize how artful you are in the feminine domain. But you're right, we all have masculine and feminine. You have highly developed both of them. Um, I don't, I'm not developed in the same way, <laughs> 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 Well, you know, if I may, one of the things that are going to help the transition to this third stage of the transpersonal culture is when we realize we are not in responsible as bodies to be both all of the time, but we are responsible as a culture to be both. Yeah. Certain bodies have gifts and are better at certain aspects, more masculine or feminine yeah, than others. Yeah, do that. Exactly. Yeah. And so our culture needs to be balanced by the feminine now. So one of the things that you've done is really pioneered looking at all of these different modes of using these various dimensions in, in men and women. The one thing I really want to emphasize about that is I think it's really crucially important because you and I have talked about this a lot, but I find it fairly, um, well, it's disturbing in just sort of a generic sense. It's so few uh, spiritual teachers, who, they're just not addressing these really fundamental energetic components, particularly as they involve sexuality and what that means. One of the more interesting things that you brought up is how, what, when we apply the three levels that we're using, let's just say um, pre-conventional, conventional, post-conventional, to the lower chakras and look at the masculine and feminine expression of pre-conventional, conventional, post-conventional post at the lower chakras, the masculine and feminine expression, you get an extraordinary uh, development that, as you say, has not been cultivated in our culture and even traditionally. So let's just briefly look at that 
um, what is the lower chakra expression of the transcendental or post-conventional masculine and feminine in the lower chakras? And if you take, for instance, pornography, there is both sacred erotic art right. and pornography, and then between the two is the smeared out safe version yeah. of like joy of sex yeah. kind of pictures. Yeah. So to make that even more extreme, because it sometimes helps to look at black and white things to begin with, if we look at the difference between rape and ravishment, and rape is the selfish imposition of someone's desire, whether it's for power or sex, on another person against their will. On the other hand, what ravishment is, is the forceful imposition of desire with everybody's will, and sacred ravishment is when there's no sense of separate self at all, and yet the two bodies are ravishing. One is surrendering open to God and being taken, and one is doing the taking, but as the divine taking the divine. There's okay. no sense of separation. Now, spiritually developed people often negate their lower chakras as they think they're developing, which means they lose ravishment. They're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They're losing ravishment in their uh, running away from the energies that cause rape. In other words, that intense desire to take and be taken, right. which represent the masculine and feminine. Now, right. that doesn't represent men and women. Sometimes a woman wants to take a man. Sometimes yeah. a man wants to be taken. Yeah. But the feminine in all of us wants the feeling of being essentially helpless helplessly surrendered and being taken open to God is the third stage or transconventional. Open to God kind of against my will. It's very pleasurable. Um, whereas the, the masculine version of that is wanting to take those two bodies open to God, to ravish them open. Now, most people, they look at those energies, they only know the first stage or pre-conventional version of rape. Then they go, well, they move to the conventional level, that's not good energy, so I'm not going to show how badly I want to be taken yeah. or how badly I want to take my partner. And so their sexuality becomes neutralized. They're in the pastel zone. They're not willing to in embody these more juicy, energetic, sometimes even lovingly aggressive or passionate energies. Right. Now, if they allow the post-conventional expression of the masculine feminine, right. consciousness and life, through the lower chakras, right. then they allow themselves to be taken over, open to God, right. to, to take open to God fully. So there's a full ravishment. And sometimes the man will be ravishing the woman, sometimes the woman right. will be ravishing the man. That's, that's not a gender thing. But to allow that utter surrender or Utter, in the first stage it's called dominance, but in the third stage it's more like tango dancing. One's leading, one's following, but the leader is so sensitive to the follower that it's really one unity, yeah. um, taking the other open to the divine together. Yeah. Most spiritual people, so-called spiritual people, are missing that because they deny the lower chakras. So a large aspect of this work, just historically in this time, is reclaiming the fullest masculine and feminine expression from a post-conventional perspective of the lower chakras. Yes, and I think it points to several things that are important. Certainly the one was that we were talking about how a lot of spiritual teachers, because they're trying to avoid the unhealthy or it's not really lower levels, it's unhealthy version of lower levels. Uh, so in trying to avoid, right, they end up throwing out all ravishment. The reason I enjoy talking about 
consciousness and life is because the second chakra is really, it's not about sex, it's about the physical and emotional expression of sex. Whereas when I use the word sex in general, what I'm talking about is the unity of consciousness and light. So how is consciousness and light expressed through the seventh chakra, the sixth, the fifth, the fourth? By the time you get down to the second chakra, the way consciousness and light are expressed are between two bodies and intercourse and emotional exchange. But in the seventh chakra, they are the unity of consciousness and light. In the fifth chakra, it might be the expressive energy. You know, So the consciousness energetic aspect of each of the chakras is really what I mean by Suck. The way I just simplified is to say consciousness and light are expressed in masculine and feminine forms in each of those chakras, which totally takes it out of the intercourse domain um, and simplifies it in description. Yeah, which I think is great. When you talk about the seventh chakra as being the union of consciousness and light, it's also emptiness and form, and one in its ultimate estate. Yes. And also, terms that you use are freedom and fullness. So in, in looking at emptiness and fullness, or freedom and the fullness of love, at the lower chakras, again, because it's constructed to, to realize their embrace, their concentric spheres, as you described, the, the desire to rape or to kill is ultimate freedom. All wars are fought by masculine beings in the name of freedom. There's not a war that I know that's fought that people don't think they're fighting for freedom. Now, that's the same impulse as meditating on emptiness or being emptiness in meditation. It's radical freedom at the lower level, pathologically pre-conventional and destroying others. Now, rape and war are pre-conventional expressions of the desire for freedom or emptiness at the lower levels. The equivalent feminine version is, for instance, unwanted pregnancies in high school where a feminine person just wants to feel love in her life, feel full, physically even, emotionally. So she gets pregnant, um, overeating, eating disorders among the adolescent teenage girls, um, and even fantasies of being raped or having sex with people just to feel full and loved in a pre-conventional lower chakra way are the equivalent. So for every uh, pre-conventional feminine person who wants to feel full with food or with a baby or sex, there's a pre-conventional masculine person who wants to feel free through war or gangs or rape. They're they're free. They, They don't have any limits. Now, as you go up the chakras with those, if you want to use that as the developmental scale for now, those same impulses, they're the same impulses, which is important. They're not bad. They're just evolving. Um, Those same impulses become the desire to rest as the freedom you always already are, or rest as the fullness you always already are at the higher levels. But you don't need to dissociate people tend to dissociate from those lower expressions rather than include them and infuse them. Because if you take the desire for war and infuse it from the higher levels, it becomes martial arts, true martial arts, where nobody ever gets hurt because the the desire of love, of unity, there's no opponent. You're one with everyone, like in Aikido or something. Um, And the desire to be full with a child or with food becomes the expression of always already fullness. I am fullness. And so that radiance shines from one's heart. So established as the always already, I am freedom or I am fullness, that becomes the sacred expression of the very same impulses that drive people to overeat, overshop, 
get pregnant before they truly, genuinely want to for love, or drives people to kill, to assert their power, and so forth. And so by feeling that is love, that is true compassion, when you realize that people who are, or each of us as individuals, when we're in a moment of pre-conventional power hungriness or pre-conventional wanting to be full with something, that's just an intimation, a lower level fractal of what we always already are. And so the spiritual practice to be applied in any moment is you take the impulse that is happening, and they're always either to be free or to be full of some form, and you connect that, you feel in the moment to the place in you or the part of you that is already free or full, and you allow that freedom and fullness to infuse the body, mind, spirit, and then you're relieved of the necessity for acting out at these places in a pre-conventional way, and they become the expressions. Then your politics, rather than being power, are expressions of freedom. Your sex, rather than needing to be full, are expressions of fullness, uh, rather than the need to acquire freedom or fullness. That was a really rich description of that. Let me see if I can't get masculine and abstract it. Well, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but in one of the ways that we were to honestly conceptualize it is if you have these three levels. Another term, again, for masculine feminine is agency and communion. That tends to, to work quite well. Because communion is that which is relational. It tends to be on the fullness side. It wants to basically embrace as much as it's possible. And agency is the freedom, agentic, separate, want to be um, apart from autonomous and control. And if you take agency and communion at each of the three levels, you know, body, mind, and spirit, one of the things that I've tended to analyze is healthy agency and healthy communion at, at a level, and pathological agency and pathological communion. And so what we're really saying is that there's healthy and unhealthy agency and communion at these three broad ways of development. The classic thing that all pathological agency has in common is that it's not just autonomous, it's rigidly separate. It has no mode of contact or communion. It's so radically separated from that. It's just sort of an island unto itself. There is a healthy agency at the body level. Right. And uh, even, even if you're only at that level growing up, there's a healthy agency there. And there's a the pathological version of agency, which is certainly what a lot of things you describe. And the same on the communion side. There's a, a very healthy communion, which establishes relationships. And there's a pathological communion, which is, is a merger, a fusion, a meltdown. You can't even find yourself. You're lost in relationships. You have no sense of what you want or need or any sense of autonomy at all. And what you apply is stage dependent and masculine or feminine dependent. So to convert from the pathological to the healthy version of each of the levels that you're describing, we could describe the practices necessary for, for instance, the feminine at the pre-conventional level to move from pathological to healthy, which is very different than the masculine at that pre-conventional or the feminine at a post-conventional. Deny these different levels because of their own need to smooth everything out. Also, deny the different cures, so to speak, for the different illnesses. The cures. Yeah. yeah. A lot of my work is helping people discover the difference between what I call shells or false energetic expressions versus their true sexual essence. And the way you figure that out is tension and happiness. <laughs> and so, if somebody is using their masculine, their goal setting, uh, I'm going to accomplish this, rest in consciousness, look at the potentials, I'm going to finish a book in 12 weeks by writing one chapter a week, 12 chapters, that kind of thing. And that creates unhappiness and stress in their body. Then they're probably using the masculine in a pathological way, which is a shell. It's not native to their expression. If somebody is acting in coincidence with their proper percentage, then even though it, they might get tired 
offering their gift because it's strenuous. They're not stressed. There's a feeling of fullness and completion when they're over. They could sleep without a thought in their mind. They're essentially happy. And so one of the measurements... It's they can be stressed but not distressed. Yes, that's one way of putting it. And a lot of my work, because people accumulate these false sexual identities largely in their childhood at the psychological yeah. level, um, women are typically taught, well, it's not how you look, it's how, how you think. You're not your body or your mind. And so they begin to suppress all of their energetic expressions. Yeah. And men are often, at least in the past, you know, valued much more highly for their direction. Now, these new age men, so to speak, are men who are now identifying excessively with their feminine. Yeah. So they become wimpy. They lose their sense of direction. They become flow boys. So in the conventional green level, you have flow boys and career girls, so to speak. <laughs> you have people who are excessively, pathologically expressing their masculine or feminine. And so a lot of my work is helping people feel where do their genuine gifts lie in that continuum of masculine and feminine. What is their most just happy, relaxed, ecstatic offering not because they want to, in a first stage me-centered, egocentric way, not because society feels right in the second stage socio-conventional level, but allowing conscious light to flow through their bodies spontaneously as love consciousness. What do they do? Some people dance and some people sit in silence. Yeah. And we need to allow that, and there's a cultivation of that capacity because people go, oh, I'm not allowed to sit in the silence. Oh, I'm not allowed to dance because of these old patterns impressed on them. So letting go of the shells, allowing the natural expression, you will find your sexual essence and natural expression of your physical body, your emotional, mentally, all seven chakras or three levels as we talk yeah. about. Now what happens if somebody grows up and they have some sort of imbalance or pathology? in, uh, let's say, first or second levels. So they might either have a pathological agency, pathological companion, or probably just as common, they don't know where their sexual essence is because they haven't been allowed. They haven't been permission to find it. Most people. That's what happens to most people? Yeah. The way it manifests in people with a masculine essence is they lose their sense of direction and purpose. Right. So if you ask someone with a masculine essence, what's the purpose of your life? And they go, uh, yeah, then they have a shell and they're misidentified. Yeah. Or if you ask a feminine person, how would you most deeply want to express love in the world? Yeah. And they go, um, then they have not fully rested in their feminine expression of light, of energy. Yeah. And so I would say ambiguous men and rigid women mm -hmm. are little ways of describing what you're talking yeah. about not coincident with their true expression. So how do we capture that in a word? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what we want. Yeah. Unaligned. Yeah, um, unaligned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just say tilted, because we're all tilted. tilted. That's not tilted. bad. Yeah, no, <laughs> whacked here. My question is, somebody that comes off, whether it's either tilted, whacked, pathological, but it, not, in a sense, really uh, fully in touch with these energies, dispositions, and consciousness, and life, that's always to some degree, but I'm specifically looking at a particular situation, which is somebody comes off with a fair amount of dysfunction, D-Y-S function, or dis-ease, D-Y-S-ease, distress, and not merely stress or intense action. So somebody comes distressed in their sexual essence, in the first and second stages, and they start spiritual practice. Mm, right. And these things are always hard for everybody and always disturbing when they happen for all of us. But it becomes increasingly disturbing 
the more you move into these higher domains. They carry it right up. distressed base yes. of both consciousness and energy maladapted yes. to what it ought to be doing because then spirituality is, can become not only an escape from that, but attempt to compensate for that. But even when spirituality succeeds in its own domain relatively well, it, it tends to do so really at the expense of these lower distressed situations anyway. Well, I think you've written extensively about that, about how the lower junior holons, if they're not integrated fully, they reflect that lack of integration. And how does, and so how do you see that, what's the most common when people come to you and they're in spiritual practice, I know you work not only a lot of practitioners, but a lot of spiritual teachers as well. Mm -hmm. What's the common manifestation? Many questions, obviously, but what's one, some of the most common manifestations? What's the one or two or three things that this culture, and particularly the culture of spiritual practitioners could do? to help start redressing some of these imbalances. Well, what you define as boomeritis tends to be, when you ask, you know, what is a predominant uh, lack of integration that people carry into their spiritual practice, I would say residual boomeritis. Yeah. And the way that expresses in the masculine and feminine is that people who would have clarity of purpose tend to be over-identified with the flow of energy and therefore at the spiritual level they become indecisive, they don't want to be in the world uh, relatively poor financially because they can't with clarity act in the world to achieve results um, and therefore they either renounce money or they try to go into a more monastic situation that's not true of them. People with a more feminine essence, they have tended to over-identify with their masculine in wanting to get things done. So they enter spiritual practice and they feel their body isn't as necessary to involve, the community isn't as necessary to involve. They're going to meditate pathologically. They've negated those aspects of them. And so a lot of what you find are feminine essence people attempting masculine practices to no avail, or even to pathological avail. And masculine essence people attempting to negate their intense sense of directionality in an equalizing effort residual from boomeritis but at the spiritual level. So what that looks like is meditators with closet pornography on the masculine side or um, meditators who overeat on the feminine side. So they get off the meditative cushion and if they have a denied feminine essence due to boomeritis they run out and eat or go shopping uh, pathologically. There's obviously divine ways of eating. There's sacred ways of eating. There's sacred ways of shopping, of using clothing and adornment, but we're talking about pathological ways. Um, you've written extensively about boomeritis spirituality, but even at the post-boomeritis level, there's the residual qualities yeah. that you've described yeah. um, that are pretty epidemic. And so you basically find emasculated male spiritual practitioners and defeminized female spiritual practitioners, and you get a kind of suppressed, evened out uh, community of boring people. Overall, body temperature is comfortable. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas if you look at traditions of the people who really made a difference, quite often they were wild yeah. in the uh, liquid nitrogen or molten lead. Yeah. You know, they sat, they were in personal retreat for 30 years without saying a word, or they wrote poetry copiously or danced night and day or, you know, embraced thousands of people a day in their embrace, and they did not deny those impulses at the spiritual levels. Yeah. Um, 
it's very widespread, you know, and it's very, um, and again, I mean, obviously we all suffer from this to a greater or lesser degree, and I see that comment about the closet pornography means you've been going through my closets. <laughs> <laughs> for, for my own use. I'm an equal pervert here. I'm trying to, to play both, both sides, my sexual essence to the dirt's core. And one of the things that we're always trying to do at Integral Institute is sort of cross-pollinate these different domains and have people that really are just superb spiritual teachers really start addressing some of these other fundamental issues. Because it's really not that they can't do it or don't want to do it or anything like that at all. I think it just hasn't been initiated in a dialogue and discussion yeah. with a serious intent that it's such a it would sort of carry the thing forward. But I can I really can't think of an area that needs more attention. Well in today's so spiritual scene by applying that principle it's quite pertinent. So there are many spiritual teachers relevant to our conversation who naturally express things in the masculine perspective. So they're teaching a spiritual practice and they're, talk they're talking mostly and there are people sitting still in the audience listening to someone talking and then they might also meditate, all of which are extremely masculine expressions. Now that's 100% useful for someone totally identified with the masculine and some percent useful for everybody. But it's limited. Yeah. And therefore, for the people who are identified more with the feminine, they would need to then get up from that talk, get up from that satsang, get up from their meditation cushion, and love, be in community, dance, eat, dress, learn how to um, wear clothing that liberated the radiance of their heart and body and exchange that with other individuals to liberate love amongst the whole group. Now, certain people that we both know aren't about to go shopping with their students. They aren't about to celebrate in uh, communal ways, but they're excellent at what they do in terms of giving satsang or talking. Now, by freeing them by, from being all things, yeah. saying, you're great at this, yeah. now your students need to also do this, or even what we're doing now, if somebody comes to hear Ken Wilbur, they should probably also um, go out and get laid in the most righteous divine sense and those two together form a whole. <laughs> uh, anybody that wants to be that, please call me. <laughs> um, I can arrange that. I, you know, this is, um, so yes. I mean, I think of, of a lot of the really well-known spiritual teachers. They're really are wonderful people. Yeah. But one of the things that we think about doing is actually having a conference on this. Mm -hmm. And just get the conversation started, which I think would be very, very, very helpful. And again, the teachers that are teaching what they're doing, I think it's just, it's great. And, yeah. and a lot of the, if there's any, you know, fear is too strong a word because I, I really don't think these people are involved, for the most part, in avoidance mechanisms. Yeah. It's just, they just haven't had an opportunity, a chance, it's not what it's done. It's mostly a blind spot, I think, actually. Yeah, but yeah, it's just, in a sense, one of the saddest things is that the highest, broadest, deepest ways of consciousness, which we're calling the post-conventional or spiritual, one of the best things they do is reanimate these junior levels and really set them free, really, really vibrating, very, very intense. And you would expect to see on general integral principles that the more spiritual somebody became, the more they would inhabit these lower vehicles with gusto. And that just doesn't seem to be happening with these. Yeah, and I think it's unfortunate because it's cutting off that potential in a, in a really Exactly. You want to liberate the masculine and the feminine 100% to be full. Now, what does full mean? As we said, from individual to individual, full varies. Some people are more one-sided than the other, but full is their native, full expression. 
if there's a kink, which usually happens when somebody enters the boomeritis phase, they deny the lower chakras. It's like when you kink a water hose. The energy builds up on one side and it gets weakened on the other side. Um, people in the new age boomeritis phase of things tend to be kinked around the solar plexus heart level. So they allow the heart and higher chakras to express, but not the lower ones. That weakens them all together. You do not get kick-ass spiritual practice or kick-ass love embodiment in the world, the masculine and feminine forms of fullness, dancing, loving, community at its most ecstatic, or absolute cut-through solitude at its most yeah. powerful, yeah. unless those lower chakras are fully intact and wide open, so the masculine thunder runs whole, yeah. all the way up and down. Yeah, well, there's also, in a certain sense, the higher energies infiltrate down and give energies to lower chakras, but in the other sense, the fundamental chakras are actually the fountain, the water hose that shoots exactly. the juice up the other direction. If you cut it off at that point, you're just going to get a pale and even, you know, it can be a very profound realization. Yeah. There's no passion, there's not an intense so the residual effect of boomeritis, as we were talking about earlier, even well, at the spiritual level, is tepid, exactly. tepid, neutralized, uh, lukewarm. Yeah. Um, and people tend to actually identify that with spirituality, with boomeritis residuals. They go, oh, if you're spiritual, you talk like this. And so yeah. you go to a lot of spiritual teachers. That's a boomeritis whisper. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it stays there, you know, if, if you don't yeah. open that whole lower area. Yeah. What's the um, demasculinized, castrated is the obvious phrase. What, what's the equivalent, a loss of feminine essence? What, what's, what is it to be defeminized? What's the it's the lack of flow of energy yeah. through whatever body you're talking about. Yeah. So a defeminized gross level is a body that lacks energy, radiance, fluidity. Yeah. Um, so Shine. Pardon? Shine. Shine, exactly. Yeah. So it's loss of shine is defeminized. Now it can, that could be shine at the spiritual sure. level, literally the halo, yeah. or it could be shine at the bodily level. So when you become drab and uh, gray, whether that's emotionally drab and gray, physically drab and gray, mentally drab and gray, spiritually drab and gray, you're defeminized. You're defeminized. You know, they're really very, very positive things that it's tempting to do. It's just a little bit of a snarl where the really healthy potentials of a very, very high level of development just gets sort of uh, twist it back on itself, and then it cuts off the blood supply to all other parts of the body, and you get just uh, a mess. And the sad part about it is that it really does that kink that your body locating somewhere between the solar plexus and the heart in terms of the energetic component. Right. It's um, like when you cut off blood supply to a body part, you get gangrene. I mean, it's just both the upper and lower hemispheres start getting uh, choked off in a certain way. Yes. Um, and that's where you get the pornography hidden, you get the food things hidden, and still a fairly high level of development above the heart. So you've got a lot of spiritual practitioners who have an incapacity to act with clarity in the world and their relationships. So one of the signs of what we've been talking about, that kink, are people who could meditate well or even do sacred dance well, and yet in their relationships uh, and their lower end sexuality, there's all kinds of strange, they're not continuous. They cannot allow the purer forms of consciousness and light to come down from the top down through their sexual, their actual genitals. They cannot connect genitals while also maintaining a direct relaxation in consciousness right. and light without neutralizing their genitals. They cannot be passionately genital yeah. and stay rested in consciousness yeah. and light. Yeah. 
that's the main sign of that kink. And so they either, it's either or. They're either fucking or they're resting in consciousness right. and life. They're transcending in their almost pathological sense. Exactly. Whereas if you're open the whole way, you can do both in the natural moment. Yeah. Um, what's the cultural cure? How do you actually see this going? It's what one or two or three things most need to be done to help alleviate this. And it start, let's start with sort of the smaller circle, just sort of the actual spiritual community, practicing community. It's like you're not allowed to have the sexual module. Obviously, it's there. It's not really, again, addressed in, in a certain way. Not because they don't want to do it, but it's just not something that's sort of culturally done yeah. in a certain strange way. And, and possibly because sexual energy, so the first, second chakra, is at one end of the continuum, and the so-called transcendental version of spirituality is at the other. We really have a hard time getting these two extreme poles together. It's much easier to get fourth and fifth chakras together, and the first and second together. And I often get first and second together, uh, often, <laughs> four or five times before breakfast if I can. So, um, just because they're that polar extreme, it's very, very hard for people to remain both open, empty, and have an intense sexual bliss arise mm -hmm. in that empty space. It's like if they touch that genital energy, it's so powerful, and they're so not used to doing that in meditative states, that they just recoil. You either get entirely into it, in which case you lose both the higher forms of consciousness and life, mm -hmm. or you recoil in the other direction. Although there's a masculine aspect of sexuality, which is essentially residing as pure present consciousness in the midst of motion, the feminine aspect is the energetic aspect of sex that you're talking about. What it will require then is just as an intense practice as doing Aikido mm -hmm. is doing sex. So not only is sex not viewed as a potential interruption of consciousness or meditation, but all of one becomes lovingly able to not dissociate from the full expression of sexual energies, genitally, but also in their being, which means, first of all, that people need to feel, okay, why don't I have a module for sexual energy? Why don't I have a module for how to eat in sacred style? Not just a diet that's good for right. you, but the actual putting the food in the mouth, feeling the taste of chocolate-covered strawberries dissolve on your tongue, and instead of egocentrically using that for your own benefit, allowing the taste of chocolate strawberries to dissolve on your tongue and radiating that happiness out to all beings, which would be a third stage, a transpersonal right. way of experiencing food. Why don't they do that with food with sex as much as they do for martial arts. Well, simply because they're more masculine, so they don't live in that domain as fully. But if you took a more feminine person and invited them to contribute equally to practices, then they would incorporate naturally. That's what almost, they would go, martial arts, I'd rather have chocolate-covered strawberries. <laughs> you know, um, meditation, let's have sex. I mean, you can think of... <laughs> in the chocolate, strawberries, and sex category, because I... I, I I want to. I want to be in that side of the street. And sorry, me. man. <laughs> no, I mean, martial arts. Who needs it? Where's the? Where's the? Uh, I want the chocolate stars. Well, you and want to experience them, but they're not native to your expression. We're sitting yeah. here for hours talking, and we don't have any chocolate-covered strawberries around us. If we were more feminine people, we'd be. I do cereal. I do cereal. <laughs> if you stop here, I will go and spend four hours doing chocolate-covered stars. Um, do you see importance for people to sort of try to play both ends of the spectrum in terms of being active and they feel appropriate and allow themselves to surrender, be taken, to be ravished? Absolutely. And, I, to just do, and some men, obviously, that's one of the harder things for men, isn't it? Most difficult impulses that they can find to analyze 
was any homosexual desire for the average man. It scared them more than anything else because it meant that they were going to be ravished, taken, surrendered, any of those expressions of femininity. You panics the male poles. So that obviously would be something that would come up for a lot of men in terms of trying to not only find a healthy sexuality in, in the lower domains and the gut domain, mm -hmm. but also how to connect that with higher and wider circles of consciousness and life. Yeah, so well, they embrace all manifestation with that same love and life that's happening in general era. The key way to find your true sexual essence at each of these levels is to do both extremes freely and then you relax and you find out your true expression. So for instance, just at the genital sexual lower chakra level, every human being, let's talk about men since we were talking about that, every man should be able in a moment to give it to someone genitally to penetrate somebody physically completely and also to God but they should also be able to receive and be penetrated open to God and what that comes down to at a practical level at the lower chakras is a man should be able to take it anally as well as give it and so a good test on how relaxed a man is at the lower level is can he take a finger up his butt as easy as give penetration. Now, that doesn't mean he will enjoy them equally all of the time. It just means that he's able to relax with both reception and penetration completely, and then he finds what is his natural gift somewhere in that spectrum some percentage of the time. Now, when you expand that to the higher chakras, there are many teachers who talk about uh, allowing your head to be like a vagina or receiving energy down as if you were a vagina. And there are also teachers who talk about being all pervasive consciousness that right. penetrates everything. Those are the masculine and feminine dimensions at a higher chakra level. But unless you could take it up the ass, you can't take it down the head. They're, they're, as you talked about, there are stories that you build on, like stories in a building. And so, yes, it's essential that at every level, uh, a masculine person should be able to dress beautifully and dance ecstatically and sit in silent meditation for a week without moving to talk about extremes. That doesn't mean they'll enjoy both equally and that doesn't yeah. mean they'll be as good as both equally. Yeah. And once they're able to dance fully and sit silently, that doesn't mean they'll choose to do the same the right. same amount of time. But unless they can do that, they won't know their true essence because they'll be resisting one of the poles. Yeah. And they, more importantly, or perhaps equally as importantly, they won't be able to be in a relationship with someone of their reciprocal essence because right. they'll reject that part of their partner, the part that they are rejecting in themselves. Right. What you're saying makes sense to me in every way. and It also reminds me of the way that I generally define integral because a lot of people think that Integral means that you sort of have to cover all the bases, master all the bases, and then doing all the bases simultaneously all the time. So basically, integral for me means not that you have to be able to master everything, but that of all the domains that are present in your own makeup, that you're not dissociated or resisting any of them. Yes. And it's the same as, it's like saying you go through the oral, anal, phallic, genital state of sexual development. To, to go through the oral stage, you don't have to be a master chef right. in order to do it. I mean, you just have not to split off those impulses. No resistance. On the way, exactly, no resistance. And unfortunately, what it usually means for most of us is, by the time we reach adulthood, we have to go back and recapture the ground. Mm -hmm. Because it's just of the nature of things, you can't really inhabit some of these lower chakras with awareness while you're growing through them. Right. 
So it obviously opens itself to a much more integral spiritual practice. I mean, just in the spiritual dimensions of awareness that we're talking about, of consciousness and life, at body, mind, and spiritual levels, that men and women find ways to be open to consciousness and life at those levels, which means penetrating and being penetrated at all of these levels and domains. And when you can do it in your own body, then you can find out what your gift is and do it through a two-bodied form fully. But only, as you say, you must have no resistance to do it as one body, both reception and penetration. And then you can say, well, my actual enjoyment and gift is to do most 80% of the penetration and 20% of the reception, but then you'll naturally also attract the reciprocal who 80% wants to receive and 20% penetrate. Then you have no trouble with relaxing it and allowing it to come through two bodies. Now, at the social level, it's the same thing. It can come through many bodies. As you said, integral doesn't mean you do all things at all times as one body, but it does mean all things come through all bodies as a whole at some time. Yeah, and there's just no blockage in those domains, dimensions, perspectives that are natively available to men and women at every moment, basically. Part of the things that you must see a lot is people that have, let's say, blockages in these areas are, in a sense, not only consciously, sending false messages to other people about what they themselves want, but they're sending energetically confused messages, and they're attracting people, they're always confused by why they're attracting a certain kind of person. They're advertising is why, they just don't know that they're advertising, and people are answering the ads, and they're going, I don't know why I always end up with those kinds of adults, idiots, dweebs, it's a long list of uh, smart women, stupid choices. Well, as you, you always attract a reciprocal, that's the energetic, you know, yeah. it's a polarity. And that applies to whether you're coming from a true sexual essence or a shell. Yeah. So if you're a woman, for instance, and let's say that your sexual essence is more feminine, but you've developed a more masculine shell because your parents gave you more credit for what you're going to achieve rather than the love energy you gave to the world, which is common. Now you're walking around in the world with a feminine core and a more masculine shell. So that means in your heart you want to be seen and felt and you want to offer love, but what you're doing with your life is attempting to achieve something. What you will attract in a partner then is the reciprocal. You will attract, if you're heterosexual, you will attract a man who at his core is masculine, is he wants to rest in consciousness and have a clear sense of direction, but his shell is feminized, perhaps because he was raised, say, with an alcoholic father who beat him when he asserted his own direction. He then feminizes his, he becomes more sensitive to energy so his father doesn't beat him. Daddy, is this okay? Is this okay? Rather than asserts his own direction. So very uh, clear women who have developed the shell of directionality end up attracting men who are not very directional, tend to be ambiguous. So a lot of these uh, very successful women end up attracting men who cannot commit, men who change their minds, men who cannot be trusted, because their clarity of consciousness has become diminished from a shell of false feminization. Um, So yet the reason we attract our partners is because, as you say, we're advertising both our essence and our shells. So we attract somebody who reciprocates our shells, which is a critical thing for people understanding why they keep attracting people of a certain type. Let me focus on women for a minute in terms of how they actually start working with some of these issues, blocks, and so on. The possible pitfalls, so to speak, on the masculine and feminine side of this practice of consciousness and character passion, on the female side, a female essence, which is to basically be associated with manifestation, associated with life, identified as energy, radiance, 
shining, therefore wanting to be seen, wanting to be attractive, judging herself as to the degree of attractiveness she has as a measure of her own shine. And in the spiritual path that takes advantage of that natural strength, the tendency is to be merely one with phenomenal manifestation and to have no moment of freedom in the midst of your fullness. And another definition of that is addiction. Mm -hmm. You're simply stuck in the phenomena. It looks like you're dancing, but you're really addicted. Mm -hmm. It looks like you're moving with it, but you're really just attached. Mm -hmm. And what's a good way for women to work with that? What do you see as the pitfalls to that? How do they get the moment of consciousness into light so they're not merely the phenomena? In the pre-conventional approach, the feminine says, look at me for my sake. They want to be felt as attractive. In the conventional approach, they want to balance that out and they feel, well, you look at me and I'll look at you equally. But in the third stage or post-conventional approach, they feel, I am light and my offering is light for the sake of all beings. And so the way that the spiritual approach to the feminine becomes non-addictive is when it's offered for the sake of all beings rather than for the sake of self. Well, let me ask though, is that how they experience it as well as an offering? Isn't the fact that you offer something meaning that you have a, a sense of transcendental distance from it as well? Do you see what I mean? Is there a differentiation that occurs if you're offering something you're not merely that? It would be good if a woman was here with us. I mean, when I teach, I usually teach with a woman. I'll do my best. When the feminine is offering that light, there is no sense of separation they are one with the light. However, there is a sense of feeling all other hearts and that light being offered. I am an offering. Yeah. There is not a sense, as far as I could describe from my masculine perspective, right. that they are separating from the offering into freedom, so to speak. Okay. Now, they can do that. Any individual can move to the freedom side or the light side. Understood. But if they are in the more feminine expression, that separation doesn't have to Now, occur. what gives the, and let me think of a term that doesn't prejudice one side of the polarity or the other. Let's call it the enlightened state, even if it's sort of an idealized state. And the enlightened state is that in which, and it's so inclusive, that neither one of those things are left out. Okay, is that good enough? Yeah. Now, how do, it's not necessarily that women find a distancing component of freedom in order to be enlightened, but it is necessary that they're not merely yes. one side of that. Yes. Now, so where does the freedom ventilate the fullness? In other words, how do they get out of being merely full? Well, as, as you know, the aspect of one taste is that all shine is, we could say, is the shine of consciousness. Yes. And all consciousness is the cognizant aspect of shine, yeah. of light. They say emptiness is the emptiness of form. It's not something other or apart from form. It's the transparency shimmering of form as it arises. So that's exactly what you feel you are at that moment. And that's the answer to your question. But can you tell when there's not that oneness in the taste? Yes. How, how can you tell that? Because it, from the feminine side, there's a hook of needing to be noticed shining. Okay. And in the masculine side, there's a hook of needing to be free from, from something. So in a sense, the, the way, so, what, so the, the, the freedom component to, to, I'm not going to give up on the white chromosome here. I'm Let's go for it. it. <laughs> I, don't worry, guys, I'm holding up my hand there. 
Um, in a sense, the freedom components, they're free from lower constricted versions of life. You see what I mean? Each wave of life transcends and includes its predecessor yeah. in that sense. So it's not a transcendence, it's distancing, but it's just a more, a wider, deeper encompassing. I would say, and I, I think you've also said this before too, is it's not a freedom from, it's a free as. Yeah. And so it's a free as every yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, how about if the, if the feminine essence loses, let's say, temporarily loses touch with the transpersonal spiritual version of life right. and finds herself merely in a conventional mental or bodily light. Then yes. what's the experience of loss as? What is being taken away from her? What's she out of touch with? Well, that happens all the time to all of us. And so, for instance, um, in a workshop setting or when I'm working with people, and we'll talk about women first, let's say that we're all moving to express light through our bodies or through our hearts to all beings. Right. So the practice is to feel let's start with just everyone in the room, we can imagine a room full of people, and to keep your heart connected to their hearts. So there's a continuousness between your heart and everyone else's heart. So the practice is to maintain that continuousness of feeling connection, of heart connection, while offering yourself as a surrender of light for the sake of others. Now when you're practicing that, there's a consensually validatable feeling in the room and other people would feel that about you. There's a fluidity to your movements, there's a grace that comes, it's a form of art. Now when someone falls out of that, depending on how far they fall, they either begin to identify at the social or conventional level, their movements become a little safer, they are dancing but it's like, are you okay with this? Is this okay for me to do? There's a bit of self-consciousness and when they go to the first or pre-conventional state, they're just, am I looking good? They're so self-conscious, you could feel in a person, and again, this isn't just subjective in the sense of one person. You could have a whole room of people vote, and it would be a unanimous vote. The the person will feel recoiled onto themselves, turned onto themselves, totally self-conscious. Their movements will express that, their facial expressions will express that, and and everyone in the room will feel it. Now the masculine side of this is, is the same thing. When somebody is living their purpose, for instance, when you're writing or speaking, like we are now, there are probably moments when a group of people would feel the divine is coming through them as words, just like the divine is coming through these dancers. Then there's moments of social okayness, then there are moments of self-consciousness. Well, those are fluid, and what, to me, true spiritual practice is, is realizing that moment to moment, we shift through, let's just say, those three stages, pre-conventional, conventional, post-conventional. And what really good teachers and practices do is, without belittling anybody, it's a reflection of, oh, that's a first, moment, first stage, moment, second stage, moment, third stage, second, third, second, third, first, third. And slowly over time, with the right practices, you begin to just relax the first and second stage needs. They become embodied and encapsulated. Like you say, they're concentric spheres. So you you never hurt yourself for the sake of others because you take care of yourself too. But the emphasis is on I've taken care of myself, the social situation is good enough, I'm an offering for all beings. My light is an offering to all beings, in which case it's not your light, it is you are alive as light as all beings. Your consciousness is alive as the consciousness of all beings. 
at that level, consciousness and light are felt to be just different aspects of the same one expression. And so at that level, a woman or a man or a feminine person or a masculine person, whether they're expressing light for the sake of all beings or being the consciousness that is all beings, right. it's identical. Now, what's the correspondence, the masculine version of not quite being in that Sahaj? one taste. In other words, we just talked about the feminine version, which is a tendency to want to be noticed, and that causes a separative moment right there, which is enough itself to separate light and consciousness, yes. which is what's so interesting. Yeah? Yeah. So now on the masculine side, the gentleman is there, and what's enough for him to separate consciousness and light? In other words, you briefly mentioned it earlier, and you said it's his tendency to not want to touch something. In other words, there's a recoil, a slight recoil from allowing everything to arise in the space that he already is. And is that essentially what the, he's, he's still holding on to some aspect of it, he's pulling back from the light? Well, we talked about one, I gave one example of the feminine version, and one example of the masculine version, for instance, is, is even needing to be right. That would be one example. So anytime consciousness identifies with one perspective, right. and therefore excludes other perspectives, which is a form of exclusion as you're talking about, but it's a specific form, that would be a primary fall, if you will, or forgetting, if you will, of the primary unity. Um, so anytime consciousness forgets that what is arising as form now is not only one of many possibilities, but unnecessary. It's not, it's not important. It's not necessary. Um, well, the consciousness in its own state is not doing that in any event. It is already not taking those perspectives. But you're so talking about the fall, so that's what yeah, I'm Exactly. Saying. So yes. what I'm saying, somebody does take that perspective, exactly. and that person is already not doing what consciousness is already doing. Exactly. So but that's the masculine version. There's a, it's often quite subtle, and then it becomes, in the first stage, it's just my way or the highway. You know, yeah. it's, it's very strong, self-centered, I'm right. Yeah. And then in the second stage, it's kind of like, well, you have your perspective, I have my perspective. They're both equal in the conventional level. But in the post-conventional level, it's you have your perspective, which is an illusion. I have my perspective, which is an illusion. Let's enjoy the dance, but let's primarily connect this consciousness and that all illusions are equal in that. Now, they're not all equal in the relative scheme, but from consciousness. So it's a communion of consciousness. The oneness of consciousness is forgotten and a perspective, any perspective, no matter how high it is, is taken to be true. Well, that's the version of pathological agency in the post-conventional exactly. dimension, so. uh, which is the dimension of always already awareness anyway, which is and it's right on the edge of that. Yes. And it, it is a very subtle recall. And you can feel it. That's what's so astonishing. I mean, it's a very uh, subtle but very palpable thing. Well, one of the main practices we use when I work with people is having groups of people consensually uh, validate or meter people's practices because oneself it's so easy to delude ourselves so whether you're dancing or sitting in silence people can feel as you say it's palpable it's tangible it's obvious when somebody is allowing God or the absolute or uh, spontaneously expressed conscious life to come through them, mm -hmm. there's a certain feel to that and everyone in the group will feel that and they'll say, that's it. And then when someone loses that, they go, oh, it's lost. And you can even have degrees. So if zero is total enclosure on the separate self and right. 10 is re total relaxation as always already conscious life, right. you could have a group of people going, 
10, 8, 8, right. 4, 3, and it's pretty unanimous. Pretty it's shocking how consensual that validation can be. Right. And so one of the steps from the conventional stage is the willingness to trust the feedback of a group of others of your same practice level yeah. more than your own feedback because yeah. your own feedback is limited by your own shadows and projection and defenses yeah. whereas if you have a group of people they kind of cancel out each other's idiosyncrasies yeah. and you get a very good feedback and since at the post-conventional levels your consciousness is their consciousness, your body is their body, you're basically just trusting a larger part of yourself yeah. rather than your own body-mind and that's an essential practice in all of this. Um, I can't wait to see the meter on finger up the butt. You get sort of a whole notion of the actual kind of monitoring you could do on all levels, all lines, all types. Exactly. Very, uh, we'll leave it up to the men and we'll have instrumentation on all of this stuff <laughs> in no time at all. Um, it does bring up another really interesting issue though, which is uh, we've been talking in sort of general terms that, and there is a, an important distinction between states of consciousness and stages of consciousness. And I think it's really important for the kind of work you're doing because if there's one way to look at body, mind, and spirit as a stage phenomenon, because in some sense they are levels and in some sense a center of gravity can progress through those stages, which is what a stage conception is. But one of the interesting things about those three that they also legitimately apply to states of consciousness and also to bodies in terms of energetic components. Uh, the, the obvious one is the way we've been using gross cell and causal energies. And in the traditions, as you know, those are associated with three major natural states of consciousness, which are waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. And so waking consciousness is defined as a consciousness of gross bodies. But the thing we all have in the gross waking state is awareness of rocks, and trees, and cables, and anything in the gross The sleep state is defined as basically there's no gross realm. There's no nature, there's no body, there's no rocks, there's no trees, there's just these subtle energies and images, lights, forms uh, going on. And that's, that's a state of consciousness whose energetic component is the subtle body. You're talking about dream as opposed to dreamless sleep. And indeed, dreamless sleep yeah, is, is the formless, basically the causal, which is, is pure emptiness. And that's a similar state as deep dreamless sleep, which is a similar state to nirvana, where the formless manifest domain. And one of the reasons that I think what you teach this is so useful is that if these were looked at merely in their stage components, then they really wouldn't be necessarily available to people as easily. Because the whole point about a stage conception is that a stage really is a stage. It, it, you really can't jump stages or skip stages or just not how it works. But these aren't just stages. They're energies that are already present because these states are already present. Mm -hmm. And so one of the interesting aspects about this in terms of monitoring of how people are doing is monitoring your own energetic body. And in the traditions, classically, you have the physical gross energies. Then outside of that, there's the subtle energy. And then around that is sort of a causal field which fades off into infinity. And to the extent that you're running up the states of consciousness, ego to body to mind to spirit, you're running up and down the energetic continuum as well. So there's sort of these gross, subtle, causal energies. And there really is an energetic transmission in these things. And as people shift into this causal state, in masculine or feminine form, then there's an energetic component that goes with that. And in many ways, that's what people are really picking up in the register. Yes. Actually, you can feel when something gets very gross and very heavy and very dense. 
when they start to get very subtle, not light and airy fairy in that sense, but there's an intensity and a subtlety and an extension about the energies that's very well, exquisite, very radiant, very beautiful. And so it's this whole continuous monitoring system that people have for when they're living up to their own capacities. Yeah. And it helps in your own personal practice to have developed those capacities. So as we're sitting here now, and I know you practice this a lot, but to be able for you and I to be rested in the place that's already deeply asleep together, though, yeah. and to be sensitive to the dreamy or subtle level of ideas and exchanges and feelings and much more subtle things that are occurring between us now without losing touch with the part of us that is in the deep bliss of causal sleep. And then also to allow the play of our words and our bodies at the gross level here to exchange fully without losing that awareness, without losing the awareness of the subtle exchange, and without losing the basis or the resting place where we are already one, because there's only one causal isness, <laughs> um, but there's multiplicity in the subtle and right. in the gross. And to be all of those together at all times, and then to allow both the expression in the energetic dimension, the feminine dimension, right. and the unity in the consciousness dimension at the same time, so our clarity of purpose is never forgotten, but also the spontaneous playfulness of our energies at each of those levels is never forgotten, is what you call the integral expression that is a unique taste and shape for you and I as characters, but at the causal level would be identify would be identical to everyone. At the subtle level, it depends on their subtle disposition. At the gross level, it would be depend on their gross disposition. It would be unique. Yeah. Um, and so that full integral expression is not caught on tape because tape really only picks up the gross exchange. And that's one of the things I think when people read your work, they often are picking up this sometimes mental exchange, but they, they're not with you personally, so they can't feel the, the causal and subtle and the playfulness, the humor, the love, the, your lipstick. <laughs> and they, you know, the full spectrum isn't there, and it can't be in a, in a written word or in a recording, although sometimes you can feel it expressed through those, those means. So it's helpful to sometimes have a bodily interaction, videotapes. Every media transmits a different level. Yeah. But being in person, in a room with someone, feeling them, their body, their subtle dimension energetically, yeah. and also that causal communion, if you will, allow that language. Yeah. Um, that's a full spectrum metering and communion and agency from that connection is aligned with the source rather than just... Yeah, it, it's so much better if you actually you hear these things in person because it's a dance of energy and vibration between people. It's really, it's beautiful and it's really wonderful. And none of it, absolutely none of it is captured in a in print form. And so that part is really difficult. And it's very, very hard to do that kind of criticism because it's a whole body criticism. When it's done right, it's going from gross, subtle, and causal dimensions and consider this together from the... And then it ought to be fairly humorous as well, which is, you know, it, it's working that makes you laugh. Well, well, earlier we were talking about the masculine era, and we were talking about how from the unity of consciousness, which encompasses all perspectives, you begin the errors to identify with one, yeah. and when you are writing anything or speaking anything, it enters the relative, and by definition, you must take a perspective. Yeah. Now, the feeling of that, if you're with somebody like you in the room, 
is that no humor is lost. That is, you're saying a perspective, and you could even be defending it strongly, but the humor, the looseness with which the perspective is held, is felt body to body. There's a love, there's a humor. Yeah, you're asserting a perspective, but there's no perspective. So yeah. let's, now when you put it in writing, especially yeah. if someone's not at that place themselves and can't feel the humor even in the room, they're going to read that perspective and actually feel he's asserting this perspective is the right perspective and mine or some other one is wrong. Yeah. Now, even if you say that, if you're coming, as you say, from the causal, subtle, and gross point of view simultaneously, there's a looseness to that expression. Yeah. Like we're talking now, like I don't really care what's masculine, what's feminine, what yeah. these levels are, but we have to say something, and sometimes there's poetry in that, sometimes it's useful for someone, yeah. useful for ourselves. But in the end, it's just light, love, consciousness. Now you know that, I know that in our good moments. And if someone like one of your critics were to be able to abide with you in that humor, they would be able to feel even your criticism as a play in that domain. You might be very serious about it, but it's loving, it's playful, it's compassionate. But that's very difficult to get in writing, but it's even more difficult for someone who's not used to abiding that way person to person right. to get it through writing even when it's possible to get it through That's the understood. writing. Understood. And we're taking the best possible life on all of us at that point. Yes. Assuming that we can make our perspectives with that love, life, embrace, and openness. It's really emptiness, clarity, and care, and passions. And if each moment resonates with that, then it's the fullest chance to communicate those. So. And sometimes there are times when you can write very academic prose with a certain passion that actually is, is almost luminous. Yes. And there's places where I've attempted to do that. In academic stuff, you're not generally allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in an academic book, I'll save the last chapter and sort of put it all in there. I figure, okay, if they've gotten this far, <laughs> now I can really, you know, blow my cover, so to speak. But it's a funny thing. It's very, very rare where men are encouraged to shine mm -hmm. in that dimension, which is tragic. Yeah. It's really, it's not just the clarity of thoughts you want to convey, but it's a passion, it's an intensity, right. it's an energetic component that just makes grown men weak if you do it right. Well, that's how the feminine or women feel all the time. You know, the yeah. feminine always feels like there's, not always, but the feminine in general feels like this world does not allow the luminous expression that a more feminine person would usually like to be expressing. They have to make a point. Yeah. They have to go from point A to point C by going through point B. Right. Uh, the masculine will say, what's the point otherwise? It's stop being so loopy. What are you trying to say? Clean up your room. Yeah. Do something. You know, and what you're talking about really is academia has been up till now a, a highly masculine endeavor. And so when you're writing in the masculine vein, everything is on a grid. Everything is clearly analytical. Every one thing leads to another. You get kudos. When you allow that more luminous, poetic, not necessarily one point after another, but highly expressive, passionate, energetic expression to come through. In the academic field, if you're writing poetry, it would be fine, but in a poetry journal, say. But in the academic world, it's very not allowed. And again, that's something people don't really get about you, that you do write in a feminine style sometimes. It's just not allowed that much in academia. Yeah. So now, you've written some of these same kind of pieces about several people in terms of kind of really a loving gift that also includes certain types of criticism held lightly. Right. Now, why, see, I clearly don't know that, you see. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> now, now, you, on the other hand, see, you're really in trouble here. Now, why, why did you commit that to print where the shine is going to, a lot of it's going to not come through? 
Well, in Waiting to Love, I had an essay about you, Ken Wilber is a fraud, and I wrote a number of other essays, and I showed them all to the people I wrote them about. Yeah. And actually, you're the only person who allowed me to use their name, and some people didn't want me to publish it at all, because again, your humor, you knew me enough to know that we're both coming from the place of love. Yeah, it's yeah. both just a humorous thing. The other people, even knowing me, were not able to abide in that place. So it could just be that I'm a hack writer, and they didn't want, want that kind of writing about them. Um, well, we all know that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should take that for granted. Okay, let's that's take it. something <laughs> else that we got to. Probably. You know, most of us... Well, why? Now, seriously. Now, I'm not naming names or anything. Yeah. Um, why? I mean, they're we just, just too... Um, there's no real pleasant way to say it, is it? I mean... Well, they felt it would hurt them professionally. They felt that other people would misunderstand, as they have about the essay I wrote about you. They really, they either really think I'm criticizing you seriously, or they think I'm uh, trying to, in cahoots with you, do some strategic thing. Everything but the obvious, that we're two guys, love each other, we're having fun through the written form. Um, we're loving each other through, yeah, I mean, there might be a few true things. We're both characters, we both have our undeveloped areas. I mean, that's Useful to yourself. What? I am. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you? So, but it's okay to me if these other people who shall go nameless didn't want to get involved in this or didn't want you to do it because they thought that you know, the average reader would misunderstand your intent and they were acting, let's say, out of a passionate concern mm -hmm. for your well-being. No, it was for their well-being. That's what I thought. That's how they expressed okay, so they're, they're just mad toadies. But <laughs> uh, my, their, their sense. Um, that's just, that, don't you think just a little bit too full of yourself, though? I mean, however you want to say it. I mean, I, I don't really understand that aspect of it. I honestly was, I was taken aback by the degree of misunderstanding. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sort of, you know, sugarcoat one side or the other. It's my honest opinion that I don't see how they would find that objectionable. Mm -hmm. In this one particular area, that there was such a misunderstanding that I have to kind of look also at what a cultural background might be that would predispose so many people to misunderstand. Well, again, your boomeritis description, I think, is right on the mark. You don't criticize people. In fact, it can't be done as a form of humorous love from well, the boomeritis. Well, I, see, I think, I think it's boomeritis, but I think in this case, I don't think they, my sense is that because we don't have a, I want to say, a healthy Greek uh, <laughs> attitude to male love, basically. Right. You're just not allowed to do that. They've never, in my sense, with these people, I've seen two men walking down the street uh, holding hands and loving each other. Well, there's a way of us holding hands and loving each yeah, other. And I, people just, I think everybody it. completely missed that. Not because they're dull-witted or slow or any of that stuff. It, we, it's just we're unprepared for it in this culture. We're unprepared for it both emotionally as men loving each other, but also the extreme masculine expression, like the extreme feminine expression, is suppressed. Now, the extreme masculine expression is love is expressed through criticism, as we've been doing right now. Like you say, you retarded moron, you know, you right. idiot. Well, it's the three stooges. Exactly, but even even in the Marines or someone says, you know, you earn 50 push-ups, it inspires people. If you're masculine, it's an inspiration to be criticized. If you're feminine, it is not. The feminine grows by praise. The feminine grows by loving praise. The masculine grows by loving criticism. It actually thrives on it. There's humor in it, and even if it's accurate, if it's done lovingly, we grow. Yeah. I mean, but the feminine does not. So in the 50-50 smoothed out conventional yeah. culture, the extreme masculine and extreme feminine are not allowed. So two men who love each other, one, that's not allowed. Two, 
who love each other through masculine means. Right. I think more people would accept us hugging each other yeah. than lovingly criticizing each other in such a penetrating way. Yeah. Whereas that's a very valid form of masculine love. In fact, it's an extreme, very high form, but an extreme masculine form. Even like in academia, you could be enemies or you know, best friends in martial arts could fight right on the edge of competition or boxers often after a really close boxing match, they just hug each other. So they're ch through challenge and criticism and finding each other's weakness. It's a way of expressing love. Yeah. That I also think is a reason that those essays were misunderstood by yeah. people. They don't embrace love between men, but yeah. they also don't embrace the masculine expression of criticism as a form of love. Yeah. But also, what we were talking about earlier, really about taking it up the butt in a certain way. In other words, said one man can't be receptive to right. that intense degree to another man. Loving that, right. Exactly. And if, if somehow that's happening, there's some horrible, horrible thing that's going on. Yep. I agree. Which I just, you know, I mean, I just, it, it's, it's that sort of cultural background that strikes me as responsible for as much of the misunderstanding as anything else. And the surprising thing is a lot of those responses came from supposedly highly involved people. So it was like a Rorschach block. But you see, this is, what, this is what we talked about earlier, is, is that even spiritual teachers that are really wonderfully, wonderfully developed in their own particular level, line, state, type, or aspect, but not necessarily in these other ways, because yeah. we all come into adulthood sitting on a distressed foundation. Yes. The first three chakras cannot be fully healthily developed when you're growing through them. It's just that's the nature of it. And so you have to go back and do this reclamation work we're talking about. You have to go back, fine-tune them, get in touch again, polish them up, find out what parts have been dissociated, what parts have been stuff fixated to you. And both of those are a problem. Yes. So even spiritual teachers, because they have not been able to redress this distress in the lower chakras, when they see what I took to be a healthy, criticism on your part. And then I was willing to take out certain areas without <laughs> flinching. <laughs> I'd like to point out. Um, yeah, I, I think it was just shocking. No, I just don't think it worked. And just because of that, because I was a chance to kind of go back and, and uh, open up, flush out, fill out, full up, and get free up simultaneously. And people often spiritualize those imbalances then at those higher levels, that the very imbalances that could be redressed they make a spiritual virtues. Yeah. So a spiritual virtue is not criticizing someone. That's a virtue made out of a pathology that was never redressed yeah. in this domain. Yeah. Maybe the last thing we should talk about in the introductory stuff is the questions that were still lingering in the air were the one or two or three things that could best be done to move this conversation forward among the spiritual community. And I want to mention names in a certain sense as examples of the type of teaching, but I don't in any way want to imply that these people are or are not doing what we're talking about. You take The Power of Now, for example, which is just a wonderful book. It's, it's wonderful orientation where you're getting people into an awareness of spatial consciousness as opposed to linear temporal consciousness. Mm -hmm. You stand back as all space and see objects, and it's a very masculine approach to it. That's okay. How do you sort of, what would you, on your wish list of how this thing could move forward, what are some of the things that you'd like to see? Well, I would apply the aqual vision, use levels, use lines, use dimensions. Um, with the power of now, can you reside in the now 
while you're having genital sex. Right. Now let's just look at that. Can you reside in the now while you're passionately, passionately, even aggressively, receiving ravishment? Can you, re oh, probably not, there's edges to it. But so what are the practices you need to liberate your energy and your attention, your feminine aspects and your masculine aspects while receiving intense genital penetration so you can reside in the now. Now when you can do that, can you reside in the now and then bring in the interpersonal, intersubjective dimension, can you reside in the now, feel the hearts of all beings and receive intense sexual penetration? Well that would be an expansion over what's in that book. Um, can you wrestle physically and maintain your awareness and feeling to the hearts of all beings, breathing them in and out so you never lose contact with all beings and be able to offer your deepest gift without leaving the now. Can you maintain those practices in the lower chakras, right. in the upper chakras, while sitting in the interpersonal dimensions so that you're talking with other people, you're in a community, you have other people giving you feedback. There's so much room for delusion. Yes, I'm in the now, but everyone feels like you're an asshole. Yeah. So what kind of feedback can you use so you could be in the now and develop your pranic body? What, how can you be in the now and develop your physical body? How can you be in the now and develop your emotional body, your mental body, every chakra? How can you develop the masculine and feminine aspect of each of the bodies and be in the now? So they're so rich. Yeah, being in the now is essential. However, being in the now and being a full expression of the human being at every level, say the chakras, and the masculine and feminine dimension of every being, every level of being, that would be a test. So on my wish list would be, can you meditate on the cushion? Can you reside in conscious light while having sex equally as on the cushion? Can you eat and enjoy food while having your heart connected to all beings and offering your love and light and consciousness as the nature of all beings? Can you be silent for a week? Can you dance for a week straight? Can you uh, interact with other people so a group of external observers would all feel that you are connected to the deepest source whether you're coming from a very masculine place or a very feminine expression. Um, and through those developments then you can relax and allow your spontaneous expression to come through your full spectrum of expression without mistaking spontaneity to, with habitual. It is so easy to go, I'm in the now, and then your expression only comes through your habitual means because you haven't unkinked the kinks and opened the various bodies so that your natural expression is spontaneous and full rather than habitual. Well, that's one of the problems. This is a classic masculine downside, masculine trap, pathological agency, which is that you can reside in spacious emptiness and objects are rising, objects are rising in time. The objects are kinked, the objects are kinked. <laughs> exactly. So your present now is yes, you are an asshole and it's a kinked asshole. Yeah. And that it, you can still reside in the now and have a freedom from that. That's the real downside of the masculine emptiness trap, so to speak. The mere ascenders, as we theoretically call it, and it's an almost genetic tendency for males, and certainly those who have masculine essence. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to get out of because it is such a powerful freedom technique that when a kinked object, a broken object, a dissociated object arises, instead of undoing the knot and inhabiting it, letting energy flow through it and being full in that dimension, instead of kinked and withdrawn from that dimension, the 
because transcendence is so powerful, the tendency is, well, I can just get rid of, I can get away from that knot by pulling back more. Yeah. And so you just go back and up and in and up and in and up, and, 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 and the phenomenal world gets sort of more pale and dreary, except it's still, it's just getting gangrene yeah. as you continue to do that. That's why a feminine essence partner is so useful for extreme masculine essence people, because Let's say the masculine essence person is a man, it doesn't have to be. But if a man is with, say, a woman, it doesn't have to be. But if a woman has the feminine essence, the man has the masculine essence, every time he dissociates into the transcendental realm, even though in his experience it is pure and real, she will complain. Yeah. You know, she'll say, open your eyes. The guy's got his eyes closed, and she says, what are you meditating on? And it's just consciousness, essentially. And she says, well, can you do it with your eyes open? And if you can't, it's not real. Well, that's, can you do it with your eyes open? Can you do it in life? Can you do it with me from the feminine side? Can you do it with these emotions? You know, can you, well, if you can't, if you find yourself pulling away, that's fear. And fear is not the natural expression of free consciousness. Well, as we talked about pathological agency and pathological communion, then as you know, I have Eros and Agape, and Eros is the ascending move, and Agape is the embracing move. So you have transcendent include. And pathological Eros is Phobos, because you, you don't really transcend, you're afraid of, you cut off, you deny. And pathological Agape is Thanatos, which is you don't merely embrace the lower, you regress to the lower. And that's a real death instinct to move down sense into uh, more fundamental but less significant modes of energy and life and consciousness. And those are uh, another twist on the pitfalls that the masculine and feminine exactly. tend to fall into. And there are two different pitfalls in that sense. There's pathological eros, pathological agency, which men tend to have, and pathological communion pathological agape, which well, I said man, but the masculine essence tends to have, and, and then these two, the feminine essence tend to have. Exactly. And they're really very different things. They mutually reinforce each other. The tendencies you really have to keep an eye out for. And since you always attract a reciprocal, if you're a masculine essence person with pathological eros, then basically you find your purpose outside of life and relationship. You yeah. live in the transcendental domain. Whether, and that could just be, in the conventional level, the financial world or the yeah. political world. So your life is about money. Your life is about politics. Your life is about purpose. You will always attract a partner then who's pathologically in Genesis, whose life is about relationship and how it feels right now. And everything is reduced to exactly how it feels right now and nothing else in the world matters. So you have one partner who's like, well, what matters is what's happening on the stock exchange, which is connected to the flow of economics across boundaries. And then you have the other partner saying, don't you love me now? What's happening? I don't feel... And so you always attract your reciprocal pathology as well as your reciprocal gifts. Those same things turned into the healthy form is the masculine partner is able to bring into life moods the transcendental vision of this is already okay, just how it is. This is consciousness. Even right now, in the midst of your anger, can't you feel my loving, humorous connection to your heart? And the feminine is, all your transcendental stuff is great, and can we express that through the body now? You know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let me allow, let's feel that consciousness while we make love, while we eat, while we touch through our children. And if you aren't able to do that, she, meaning the feminine, invites that lovingly into life, and he, so one way of saying this is she teaches life and he teaches death. He teaches this moment is unnecessary, let's move beyond it, and she teaches this moment is all there is, let's make this as full as possible.
Hey, thanks for listening. We at Integral Life have been producing cutting-edge discussions and practices for over 15 years now, and most of the conversations are even more relevant today than when they were originally published, which is why we call them evergreen conversations. They never fade, they never spoil, and they only become more valuable the longer we sit with them, which is why we're making many of these classic discussions available to you. Each week, we're featuring one of these conversations here on our Everyone is Right podcast. So be sure to subscribe to this feed with your favorite podcast app. We'll also continue to post excerpts and sometimes full episodes from our ongoing conversations at IntegralLife.com. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, we invite you to become a supporting member in order to access our premium audio and video podcast, as well as to help support the emergence of integral voices in the world. You can get your first month for only $1, which will give you access to our full library of perspectives, practices, and presentations, all designed to help you thrive in today's ever-changing and quickly evolving world.